Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I want you to stop what you're doing, unless you're driving, and go sign up for our newsletter. We have the link in the show notes, and you need to get on it now because it is full of information. Our Lit newsletter comes out once a week, and it has everything that's happening in the Lit community, including classes, workshops, retreats, free classes, on and on. Plus, we have blog with recipes articles, and every week we have a PT corner written by one of the many PTs in our lit community. So we can help you with knee pain, text neck issues, pelvic floor discomfort, so much more. So join our newsletter, go to that link in the show notes. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A with your two favorite physical therapists. Woo! We'll just promote, we'll promote ourselves to that. I am joined as always with, by my lovely, amazing co-host, genius Kristen Williams. Thank you, Laura. And I am joined by Laura Hyman. The one, <laughs> the only, extraordinaire. All right, we are gonna, we are just having too much fun today. But I know. let's keep it going with uh, our first question from Amy Taylor, who wrote in for, uh, to our support at LitYoga.com, and she said, "Hi, Laura and Kristen. Thanks for all you do. Big fan and beneficiary of Lit here. I'm 52, have practiced yoga for 25 years, and got certified to teach in 2008. Have dealt with sciatica and weakness on my left side." a stiff neck and trunk, as well as dystonia in my left hand over the last few years, was diagnosed with idiopathic Parkinson's disease at the end of the year. As you often say, a diagnosis is a blessing and a curse. Taking cardopa, levdopa, levodopa, excuse me, several times a day, which helps with the stiffness, as the only proven strategy for slowing uh, the progression of PD is intense exercise, I've been doubling down on my lit practice and it's currently helping. Any other suggestions? I plan to seek out OT for my hands, but feel like my PT needs are being addressed by lit right now. Thoughts? Question mark. My understanding is that PD diagnoses are on the rise, so I thought this might resonate with others. Thanks again. I know I'm much, I'm much better off thanks to my daily lit medicine. Amy. Mm, I love that. I do too. I love that. You know, this is a tough one, and and I and I. Do you think that she's right? I mean, I, I 
And I don't know if it's that the diagnosis procedure of Parkinson's has improved. I don't know if it's that, um, you know, we have heard stories of, of, of COVID and COVID vaccines advancing these diagnoses, unfortunately. So, uh, and it's a very, it's a scary diagnosis. You know, this is, for many people who don't know Parkinson's disease, is a diagnosis of the brain where the brain tissue changes. Um, it can be very slowly progressing. People can, I mean, have a normal life for years. And what Amy's doing is the absolute right thing. She's on top of it. She got the diagnosis. She's taking the medication and she's moving. You know, really what we see with a traditional progression with PD, Parkinson's disease, is a stiffening of the body, a lack of movement. There's a disruption in the transmission of signals from the brain to the body. The face becomes, you know, less affected, effective, meaning you, you can't make facial expressions as easy. The typical things that we think of with, with tremors are maybe their balance, shuffling gait pattern. So anything people can do to make bigger movement patterns. And so a lit is fantastic option for this group where we are getting on all fours. So we're getting more neurofeedback to the brain. We're, she could also add, and we do have a lot of these type of movement patterns in lit, but boxing has been shown to help with Parkinson's. It's that repetition that big movement pattern with repetition, um, moving in multiple planes of motion. She's doubling down on her movement and she's moving intelligently, you know, which is different than say, you know, people who just continue to say walk, it doesn't take much thought to walk. So the thought process of the lit method is what is helping her. That's what she's feeling is that she has to change direction. She has to think because we're making it up new every time. And I've seen she's been in my classes. I, I love it that she's showing up. She's not shying away from, she could be having a hard time. She, she may, she may you know, feel her struggles, but you know, you're going for it head on. But like I said, adding some more repetitive, resistive, you know, boxing, uh, even, uh, you know, some more plyometrics. We do have plyo in our, uh, in our classes. Um, but all of this under the understanding that, you know, she's gotten this diagnosis early. She is safe because the highest issue, I one of the higher issues with Parkinson's disease is, you know, the balance, the balance can be affected um, the sense of a body awareness can be affected. So anything she can do, single leg balance work, which we do, we do in lit yoga anyway, on different surfaces, uh, which, you know, we do in some of our classes by adding blocks. But Laura, what else do you have to add to that? I know you've got a large neuro history. Yeah. Well, I love all that. And I just say this, you are on the right track, upping your exercise, because here's the thing that most people don't realize 80% of your gray matter in your brain, which is the part of the CNS that's responsible for movement, responsible for balance, responsible for 
stress management and emotions is is absolutely impacted by movement. So in other words, you can restructure your brain, 80% of the gray matter, by movement alone, by exercise. And this is why I always want to ask people, so why aren't you doing it, right? And you're doing it. That's what's amazing. So I think, yes, it is a, it's a long-term degenerative disorder, but it can be long-term. It can take um, a great gradual effect on you. And so what you're doing is you're like arming yourself with everything to prevent that, uh, the physical and the, 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 the decline of other parts in the CNS that can um, be impacted, like Kristen was mentioning, balance, um, speech and, and, and um, affect of your face, facial expressions. But you're doing that. And so I would say keep doing it with great rigor and think, I am restructuring that gray matter that is um, in part being targeted by this. And working, you know, when I've worked with um, Parkinson's patients, my father-in-law was uh, had Parkinson's disease, and he had it from the time I met my husband, and he lived many, many years without it impacting him greatly at all. Why? Because my mother-in-law was like, oh, she's taking him to the gym every day, he's swimming, he's doing aqua aerobics, he's doing regular aerobics. She just knew intuitively, we're going to keep these skills up. And it worked. It worked. He lived 25 years well after his diagnosis and really moved well, really way up until the end. But when you start not moving as well, then it's going to it's impacted more when you have something like this. So I love that you're like, it's a there's it's a duality. You've gotten a diagnosis and the diagnosis can be informative and it can be like the big, like whatever you want to call it, the the trigger, the impetus to to maximize your function through exercise and movement. So keep doing lit, keep um, adding weights, adding balance exercises, keeping your spine mobile because the spine gets pretty rigid, especially the thoracic spine. We address all these things. And I'm just so proud that we can have you with us and 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 we're here for you so um please let you know please let us know how we can help but i love that you said you're doubling up that's amazing because that's exactly what you need to be doing it really is because if 80 percent that's a massive amount of your gray matter can be reconfigured and restructured through exercise alone that's powerful and that's what you're doing so hooray Woo! All right. Next question is from Inga, who is one of our teachers. She asks, a couple both in their early 60s, the the woman donated her husband a kidney. The operation was last September. She suffered more. She's literally destroyed and bloated belly. He takes strong medications to keep the organ. Would you recommend special exercises or to adapt the reset and the structure of lit? So the reset for people who do lit probably know that's our kind of um, beginning of movement to reestablish uh, most optimal um, alignment, activate our core, get our, that means our shoulders as well, you know, get it all prepared for bigger movement patterns so that we're coming into it kind of activating that gray matter and readying it. So uh, KB, why don't you take over? Cause you had some direct experience with this. Yeah. So 
Most people don't know this, but my dad donated his kidney to his brother. And this was years ago. I do think that they're a little less um, invasive now than they were then. But I can, you know, my dad, my father has a huge scar on the side and it is notoriously harder on the donor than it is the donee, the, the, the person who received the recipient. The, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the recipient, it's basically arthroscopic. It's like, whoop, you know, they pop that bad nut. You know, not fully arthroscopic, but just about. So, yes, the recipient is dealing with having to take the medications and whatnot for the um, anti-rejection. But, you know, any type of major abdominal surgery where you think about where the kidneys are located, you know, they are right there in the low back. There's a ton of muscle lying over top there is a ton of connective tissue that they have to get through because they're not just sucking this thing out arthroscopically they need to go in and really preserve um uh, this this kidney in the most pristine manner to uh, you know put it into the recipient so i am not surprised unfortunately that the wife is struggling i know my dad definitely this was a long recovery and and um, you know, does it bother him now? No. And uh, it sounds to me like she's had a maybe a rougher recovery than, than say, even my father did with a, a less advanced surgery 20 plus years ago. Um, but uh, so would I change up things? Yeah, I guess I would, you know, as I would with any abdominal surgery. I would also add things to it. You know, I would hope that she's getting scar massage, you know, doing some sort of connective tissue work. Because odds are, if she's having all of this bloating, if she's having even some disfiguration in her abdominals, it's because of scar tissue. It's because of some people just don't heal as easily or as um, what we want to, you know, not as laid down as as nicely as others it's 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 nothing that they've done wrong or you that uh, it's just it is what it is so what can you do um now inga you know i don't i don't know that you're a massage therapist or you know certified to be doing this to her but certainly instructing her on ways to do some soft tissue to herself cross friction you know going across the scar Coming away, you know, looking to see up in her diaphragm, does she need to be released up in there, around the back, down into the buttocks, into the hips? You know, where might she be tight in other places that's just adding? You know, think of that connective tissue as being tight around the abdomen, but what role is it playing in the shoulder, in the in the in the hips, in the back body, um, even in the front body? So I would definitely be encouraging some sort of connective tissue release. Um, I would be really helping her with some hands-on to, she probably has a really hard time talking to her abdominals now, you know, getting them to fire. I know that was a struggle with my dad, just like that's not doing what I want. You know, my dad, he loves to tell this story that his nickname in uh, college was the bod, Hank the bod. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I believe it looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> so it affected his six pack, <laughs> you know, and um, it's really hard to tap into that area after it's been any type of it. I mean, C-section, that you name it. Um, so what can you do to help her reorganize her core? 
Uh, and sometimes I think moving away from the source can help too. So maybe we need to look at her pelvis. Maybe we need to look at her rib cage. Maybe we can look at her neck and help her reorganize there because you'd be surprised how that stuff can affect down below. Uh, and so these are the things a lot of people don't think of. We all kind of go zero in on where's the issue, what can we do? So that the obvious stuff would be, you know, getting in with the hands, getting in with manual cueing, but maybe looking elsewhere too. What else do you have to add to that, Laura? No, I love everything you said. And I, I really cannot echo enough manual. And, and by the way, it's probably even more important she does it on herself. You know, like I just last week had a private... And um, this woman found me on Instagram and said, I've been doing PT and I had abdominal surgery. She didn't even tell me much about the abdominal surgery, by the way. She just said, I had abdominal surgery and I just feel a, still a low back is stuff. And I went to PT for it. And my first question was, did they do any kind of, did they teach you any kind of massage or did you ever do any massage on your incision? And they hadn't. Literally. And so I just told her how to like grab around the scar and and this is important for C-sections. It's important for um, hernias, hernial repairs, any kind of abdominal surgery. Even if you the scar is not as big, you know, some people will have very, you need to pick that scar up because that scar going under to the skin is also going into the fascia underneath. And that pulls everything a little bit wonky. That could be affecting the peritoneal cavity, her her digestion, when she's talking about bloating. So just learning how to do a digestive massage to the organs there. Maybe they had like some kind of big like, you know, because surrounding organs can sometimes get a little scared. Like what's going on over there? And they can kind of have a response to surgery as well. Um, just think about like when you fly somewhere or travel and you don't go to the bathroom for two days, you're like, what is happening? You don't know why, but it's like you're you've had a response. They're like, I don't I'm just going to shut down for a little bit because I don't know what's happening. So that can happen after surgery. It's a much bigger like impact. Um, so doing the mild, doing some fascial stuff, doing some or teaching it to her, you know, teaching her how. And and if, if you're not sure, it's just like pick up the scar, rub around it. Like Kristen was saying, cross friction, doing the digestive, you know, that clockwise is that clockwise clockwise circling to help that um, if she's having a lot of bloating and and then again like Kristen said go into the back go upwards and downwards so it's not just in that area because maybe to offload any kind of compression in there it might be coming from the neck it might be coming from the pelvis so the reset should be great for that also teach her how to do some breathing putting her hands on her out like giving herself a hug or putting her hands on her outer ribs try and get that breath going because again the diaphragm is intricately involved in all this abdominal cavity stuff as well and so just getting the breathing going and and just reassuring her that she is as like like, like Kristen said as the the donor it, this is a this is a bigger pull for her um and it's going to take a while and just try and you know use your hands and your tools to make yourself feel better um, walking and moving and, and just, again, keeping up with some kind of regular mobility is going to help. But got to get into the scar the scar tissue. And like Kristen said, there's also whenever you cut something, you're cutting nerves, you're cutting receptors. So there is like a disconnect into that area. So just like, you know, reassuring it, look at it, firm it, work the core, 
in, you know, ways that feel good, not vigorous or too much, along with the breathing. The breathing is going to support that so much. Great. Yay. Today's podcast is sponsored by AminoCo, my favorite company for amino-based supplementation. While I use many of their products, today I'm highlighting the Purity line. Purity is just like it sounds like. It's designed to accelerate the export of fat triglycerides out of the liver, which helps reduce overall liver fat levels and helps maintain normal levels of liver enzymes. The liver is vital to all metabolic processes in the body and is primarily responsible for removing toxins, processing nutrients from food, breaking down fats, and building proteins. I use Purity as a bonus to help my liver function more optimally. Even though I'm living a pretty clean life, I feel better knowing that Purity is helping me filter out the inevitable toxins that we all encounter. This drink helps me feel refreshed and motivated to keep my organs functioning their best. I mix it with a powder in water or in my favorite smoothie. You can find out more about AminoCo in episode 569 when I interview the, one of the founders, Dr. Robert Wolf. You can also shop my favorite 100% science-based amino acid supplements and save 30%. Just enter code LIT at AminoCo.com slash LIT. Again, AminoCo, A-M-I-N-O-C-O dot com slash LIT. All right. And then our last question here is from Michelle Ray. She's a LIT practitioner who we were lucky enough to meet when we were in Chicago. Uh, she says, hello, I love the knowledge you shared in the recent Angles of the Ankles class on LIT. I always hear, quote, flex your foot to protect your knees, quote, uh, cueing in traditional yoga classes. This class prompted me to ask, what is the foot ankle angle positioning in a seated twist, easy twist or pigeon that best supports the knee? I don't know if the ankle angle is causing the tibia or fibula to jam into the knee. Also, the proper knee positioning to enhance the cap glide in line when sitting uh, in the seated twist, easy seat or pigeon. Sometimes in my seated twist, my lower leg knee doesn't feel right, and I will adjust it just to give it more space. Uh, structurally, everything was checked out thoroughly. I do get a click slash adjustment or sensory nerve pops below the knee, direct and indirect. With this class and combo of PT work, I did discover the sensory nerve issue is more likely related to some tone in the ankle dorsiflexion. A little pre-lit warm-up and myofascial work on my feet and ankles helps prepare the knees for class. Thank you for your thoughts. So I really think that her main questions are, what is the foot and ankle, foot and ankle positioning in a seated twist, easy twist, or pigeon that best supports the knee? Um, and is it in fact causing the tibula or the tibia or fibula to jam into the knee depending on the foot and ankle? You want to start with that one? Yeah, I mean, for for people who are really biomechanically sound, I'm I want to say I don't think it's as big of a deal as as you might think. Like like it has to be this way or has. So number one is what's happening at the hip and how can we support that? So in a seated position, whether it's the soft, the easy sit, the suga, where you're just kind of cross ankled, like are are you in a neutral spine and neutral pelvis and your hips feel good and they're not like. Uh, moving forward with the anterior pelvic tilt or anything. They're really feeling solidly centered in the pelvis. Having a little um, dorsiflexion then just gives you some kind of leverage, some tone to help the hips stay kind of supported. 
That doesn't mean for people who want to flop their ankles more in plantar flexion and asuka, you know, that's that type of cross ankled, that that's wrong. Um, but it might be a little less, it might be more kind of like, huh, you know, it's a little, little saggy in the pelvis. So I think some degree of that can help if it helps you. Now, not everybody's the same because some people actually feel that bothers their knee and that doesn't necessarily mean that there's something going on at the hip either. So it's, it is a little individual, I think. That's why I don't want to be like, it has to be this way. There's certain places I'd be more specific. Um, pigeon, when you're talking about the front front leg, again, are you, is your pelvis neutral? Is that hip in an ex, external rotation that is active, meaning you got there and you didn't shove yourself there? Um, if that's all in place and you're in pigeon, I think it's pretty natural to have a little, again, a, what I would say tone just to create some so that you're not rolling on bones or rolling on the knee, just a little bit of um, ankle dorsiflexion tone there. But by the way, try plantar flexion and see how that feels. It might feel good. It might not feel good. It might put you more into the lateral knee. I don't think that whether you dorsiflex a lot in that position that's not the reason, like you might feel it in your knee, but then you need to think, why is that happening? Maybe my femur is moving more into the knee because I'm tipping in the pelvis. So my, I'm not going to give you a total answer, I guess. It's just, I use that as like, how can my ankle, the angle of it, whatever, support the proximal area, the hip, especially if I'm doing some kind of mobility there. And always think in pigeon, in seated twist or seated, just like, you know, easy sit. What's my spine doing? What is my pelvis, my all of that doing? And then the foot can just kind of support that. It often feels good to have a little kind of push into the lateral border when you're sitting to give you an upward lift of the spine. That's the reason I do it. Not that it's the right position, quote unquote, for the ankle, but it is feeding the energy up. Somebody else might find they don't, it feels better in their plantar flexed and pushing down. I don't know. It's like everybody's a little different. I mean, it makes sense if you're flexing in the knee and hip that your ankle dorsiflexion will continue to support that. I just want to say, I don't think there's a net, it's not wrong to do it other ways. It's like, what does it feel like for you? Does it, I want to feel like I'm lifting. I always think no matter what, unless I'm in Shavasana, how can I counter the forces of gravity to some degree? I'm not battling it, but I'm just positioning myself that there's a better balance on all, you know, the the joints, the tissues around there. And and if that gives you that little um, extra sense of lifting away from gravity, then do it. It does for me, but I also don't always cue from that because I've heard from other people, maybe they had a knee issue, that just that movement didn't give them any length in their spine. It actually just hurt their knee. No, yeah. I agree with you. And even it's funny in my body, sometimes it can be different on the left side versus the right side. Mm -hmm. Could And that could be from the knee, that could be from the hip. You know, like most of us are not balanced. Most of us have a little bit of imbalance. So what works on the left side doesn't work quite as well on the right side. So I love that, you know, to your point, Laura, you want to do what feels right for you. Um, I understand the whole of flex your knee, to flex your ankle to support your knee, the thought process behind that. To your point, Laura, you're just creating energy. You know, you're... When you dorsiflex, an evert is usually kind of what people are doing. You know, they're firing up their tibialis anterior and their, now they call them the fibularis muscle, uh, muscles, but we call them the perineals when we were going through PT school. 
So yeah, in theory, is that going to support the lateral knee a little more? Perhaps as we're coming into a position, this this figure four slash pigeon slash um, you know easy seat where we're might be torquing on those lateral structures. But sometimes doing that does not it actually enhances the pull because you're winding up tissues from below. So you know it it might feel better for you to be a little bit more relaxed because it takes tension off above. So it definitely is not a prescribed cue, which is why I never cue that. I, I don't ever cue the dorsiflex, you know, for those positions. She's yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One place I will cue it, I will say, is when we are in our wide stand, not cue that per se, I, I, I might cue at the foot and ankle. And we're in the wide, uh, our supine twist that we do in our reset. And mm-hmm. those knees fall over. Like you said, Laura, it's gravity, that top leg. You've got gravity now pushing your knee into a valgus by pressing into the inner arch of the right foot, essentially inverting it a little bit, maybe even a little bit of dorsiflexion, mostly inversion. That really relieves that that press of gravity. You're pulling back into you're using the tibialis posterior to pull you, uh, you know, against the gravity. That's that's the bigger game changer to me of the foot and ankle. When it comes to the knee, it's the hips. The hips are the big, so when we fall into that internally rotated plus gravity, the knee's going to pay the price for what's happening or not happening at the hips. So we can make the little soft tweaks at the foot and ankle, but that's not going to matter near as much as what's happening at the hip. But that's also why uh, the angle of the ankle does matter because it does affect the hip. So we just have to look at the interplay of all three joints together, how it is in your body, how it is in your body left to right, how it is in your body from today versus tomorrow. So I like to just sort of be active, like you said. There's an energy. There's a, I don't, I don't like to sit in any pose. Even my seated twist, I might be like, ha, ah, for my hip, but I'm still upright. Upright, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm lifted. I'm not just, you know, swapping um into it same thing with pigeon you know i i would say pigeon is is a more relaxed pose um but i'm not cranking into it it's it's more relaxed in that i'm going into a position of comfort for my joints especially the hips and knees that the ankle at that point i don't think it's going to play a big enough role to uh to to be worth a cue that could adversely affect somebody else so. Yeah. And, and to that point, I think it's one of those cues that was adapted kind of like uh, drop, you know, lower your heels and down dog. It's like there was some rationale that might work for a percentage of people. And but it isn't a really it isn't a very it isn't a, an accessible cue for everybody and nor does it make sense for everybody. So I think there's certain places where we're just like, I don't tell cue people to lower their heels and down dog because for a lot of reasons, but if they want to and it doesn't affect what's happening proximally, that's fine. Um, and I think it comes back to, again, that angle of the ankles is really in, for the most part, is emphasizing what's happening in weight-bearing. Uh-huh. Because that, again, is going to impact the knee and the hip and vice versa the most. But I love that you asked this question in a like non-weight-bearish way. Yeah. Um, and I hope we're just giving you permission to discover what feels right for your body and your knee and your hip. Yeah. 
Well, great questions, everybody. Thank you yes. so much. Thank y'all. We love your questions. We could do this all day. We love spending time together. It's very, it's so fun. So um, as always, please rate and review and share the podcast. It means so much to us. Um, we we just want to keep doing this and we'll, we do it for you. And we so appreciate your enthusiasm. So if you have questions, don't be shy. You can um, direct message us on Instagram if you're there. I'm Laura.hyman, kbwilliams99. You can also reach us via email at support at lityoga.com. Those will get forwarded to us and we will get to them as soon as we can. We just kind of work through them as they come. So uh, thank you so much, everybody. And as always, we're pulling for you. Yay! <laughs>Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 